0: Hello everyone, I'm Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Uh, we've got a wonderful Grateful Dead show queued up today to talk about uh, some interesting things going on in the world of cannabis and uh, let's see if we can get through all of it before Dan gets tired and motions at me to stop talking. We are going to today listen to the Grateful Dead from June 19th, 1988 at Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin and before we say anything else, let's just dive right into the opening clip.
1: When the First man cheeks the sails, second team's the after deck, third, the planks and rails. What's the point of calling shots, just to a in line? you both meet up up and no one's got the time. Tip it me be
0: Mississippi half-step, Uptown, to Toodaloo. Very often during this period of time, 87, 88, uh, maybe even into 89, and really almost any time, but a lot during that era, uh, we would get a great half-step, feel like a stranger uh, opener, which this show was. And uh, you can tell right from that the, the half-step that Jerry's in fine voice. He's playing. He's doing great. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great version of the song. I, I love Mississippi half-step. Uh it, it moves really well. Uh you can learn the words and sing along with them. And the lyrics are you know just as, as funny as a lot of the other stuff that Hunter has come up with. You know, your cue ain't straight in line, the cue ball is made of styrofoam and no one's got the time. Um I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you, Mr. Hunter. Uh and thank you, Jerry, for putting some fantastic music behind that. Um, Today is the 35th anniversary of this show. Dan's nodding that I got my math right, so that's good. Uh, And it was the first of a four-night run uh, at Alpine Valley. Uh, Interestingly, things were getting uh, so crazy there with the crowd that they thought they would throw everyone a curveball, and the shows were Sunday night, Monday night, off Tuesday, then Wednesday night, and Thursday night. Uh, This is the Sunday show um, from June 19th, 1988. Uh, I was at the show. I was at all four of the shows, actually, um, and I can tell you that uh, they were all great. Uh, the Thursday night show is far and away, uh, in my opinion, the, the the best of the four. Um, but but this was a uh, this was a tricky time for those of us who were deadheads living in Chicago. Yes, we didn't have to travel, uh, but we had to work. And uh, my good buddy JT. Uh, was going to shows every night, and I was going to shows every night. And in fact, he and I, uh, the Friday right before this, hopped on a plane and flew out to Minneapolis to hang out with my good buddy, Mike, uh, my good buddy Mike who uh, uh, took me to my first show way back in the day. And we went, we saw the, the dead play in the uh, St. Paul Civic Center. Uh, great show, had a lot of fun. And uh, then because back in those days, if you stayed over on a Saturday night, your flight was cheaper. We stayed over Saturday night and flew home Sunday morning. And immediately got in our cars and drove up to Alpine Valley for this show, night one, of the uh, of the four-night run. And, you know, what Mark did for us was that every night after the show, we got in our car and fought our way out of the parking lot and made the drive back, which was you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about an hour and a half. Uh, once you got out of the parking lot, traffic wasn't too bad. We just all break up really fast. Everybody going in different directions. Um, And, and, you know, we'd get home eventually. You you come out in Lake Geneva, you got to take it all the way, uh, one of the local roads, 50, all the way east to uh, to 94, take 94 down into Illinois and uh, follow it around and then eventually get home. So it, it wasn't that it was a terrible drive, but it was a drive that was long enough that by the time we got home, uh got out of the lot, got home, I uh, get situated, you're going to bed probably about two, two thirty in the morning, uh depending on what you might have done that night. It could be three or three thirty in the morning. Uh and then we had work the next day. And I'm uh, John had a uh JT's working for a uh a back hauling company and uh, they had to be there at like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. So, you know, but he's, he's the kind of guy, man, I'm, I'm sure he was there on time every single day. And I was working in a law firm downtown and I had to be there by like 8 or 8.30, but it still felt too early for me. Put on a coat and tie, get on the train and take it downtown um, and, you know, try and be a lawyer. Having just come off a really good Grateful Dead show, knowing that I had a few more to go. And uh, you know, partners calling you for this or that, and I wasn't on vacation, and I wasn't really taking the whole time off, but I had cleared with a couple of partners who I knew were the kind who might reach out to me at the last minute, and just let them know that I was going to be visiting with some friends in the area, and uh, might be cutting out early a few days that week. And they said, well, as long as everything else gets done, that shouldn't be a problem. And you know, by about three thirty or so, I was out the door. And one of the nice things in Chicago is uh, the, the public transportation and the trains, and from the Loop, which is where my office was located. They have a train that one train that takes you out to O'Hare and now one train that takes you out to Midway. We didn't have it back then, but I didn't need to go that way because the one that takes you out to O'Hare for some period of time runs right down the middle of the uh, uh, Kennedy Expressway. Uh, right as it pulls up and where it splits off to go out to O'Hare and otherwise to go up north. And one of the last stops you can get off at before it starts it starts heading up uh, more northwest to O'Hare uh, Airport is at Addison Street. Yes, the same Addison Street where Wrigley Field is located, just a lot farther west. So I would get on the train. I would take it up there. Um, and my wife, Judy, was my girlfriend at the time, and uh, whatever other group of people who were with us, uh, would, would pull up in a car. I'd hop into the car and, you know, literally in the back seat while we were driving, start taking off my suit and getting out. One of the things that was crucial about this weekend was, was in the middle of one of the longest droughts, uh, in the Midwest in a long, long time then or now. Um, and it was, uh, horribly, horribly hot temperatures too. Um, it was pushing high nineties every day, uh, no chance of rain. And just, you know, to show you, how things change year to year we were back in 1989 and that was the mud bath year uh, where it poured especially the uh, the, the second night uh, just drenched us if we, you know, we were up on the lawn and uh, until we were able to get ourselves a spot down underneath and uh was really wet but this year it was just hot 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 so by the time i would get off the train and get in the car i'd already be sweating up a storm and uh you know try and change as quickly and discreetly as one can do in a car um, and then, uh, we, we just hop right on the highway and take it North and we'd get up there uh, you know, and we park in the Alpine Valley parking lot was always a disaster, no matter where you parked or no matter how you tried to do it, because they wouldn't let you park farther in the back until all the lots up spots up front were filled. And, you know, they'd put you in and, you know, there'd be a logical place to go to start going down an aisle, uh, but that aisle may not make it all the way out. And you had to know where and when, and it was just crazy, but, uh, did that and then you know for each night thereafter went to the show drove home got up went to work the next day took the train and we made it uh it was amazing we were young and we had a lot of energy and uh, uh people who were supporting us both at work and uh those who were meeting us and transporting us up there um but enough about that let's talk about this show some more uh because it really was a great one and uh here's the second clip it's a, a tune. Trust a woman, uh Brent Midland tune. Uh some Deadheads referred to it as Good Times, um, which we were just about to head into one of those uh, uh s- sections of the lyrics, but ran out of time on it. Uh this was a Brent tune that came out after Go to Heaven, so it's not on any album, but it was released on a couple of uh the, the Dead's live releases, dozing at the Nick. Uh, from the shows played on March 24th through 26, 1990. It's also on Nightfall of Diamonds, uh, the, the show release, which Rob and I have talked a lot about. It's one of our favorite shows from 1989, October 16th, Bobby's birthday. And there's a great version of Never Trust a Woman on there as well. Uh, the first part of this clip is a great Jerry solo, and there just wasn't enough time to get everything in. But if you go a little bit farther back, uh, as after the first round or second round of lyrics, Brent just takes off on his Hammond B3. And it's just really uh, a wonderful thing. He, he played that instrument so well. And so many nights we'd be sitting there just having a good old time, and you look on the stage, and I can't use any of the right terminology, but it has part of its system. This thing that just looks like an amp. Uh, and then on the bottom, there's this little wooden disc that spins around. And it always would seem that, you know, right when Brent was playing it at his hottest and everybody was getting up and going, that thing was spinning around a million miles an hour. And that's when we knew that that Brent was on and, and, and this Never Trust a Woman, he was right there. And uh, it was, you know, just a wonderful thing. Um, the Dead, well, actually played the tune about 40 times between 81 and 90. It was not revived after Brent's death. Uh, one performance by Phil and Friends in 2016, uh, and that was basically it. But it was it was a, just a tremendous tune and, and one of Brent's uh, great contributions to the band along with other Brent tunes. And whenever we're do- featuring a show and, and uh, there's a Brent tune, I like to pull it out because we can all talk about Jerry, we can all talk about Bobby, and we can all talk about all those tunes all night long. Um, and this one's going to slant a little bit hard Jerry, but we've had the ones that have slanted hard Bobby too, and he'll have his moments in this one. But Brent was just such an important part of that band at that time, and we knew it, and we we knew how great he was. Uh, he wasn't uh, wasn't seeing Pigpen, and it wasn't seeing Keith, but it was seeing Brent, and he was our keyboard player for our generation, and we loved him. We just thought he was just a tremendous singer, a tremendous keyboardist. And if you go back and listen to this show, make a point of really focusing on this song "Never Trust a Woman," and and listen to the whole thing all the way through, so you can hear. Uh, brent singh you can hear him wailing on the b3 right into the jerry solo back to brent and it, it, it's great tune and, and it's really a lot of fun so uh, a good night going on so far for us at uh, alpine valley on june 19th 1988 and we will come back to that in a minute uh, we do have some news on the cannabis side and uh we'll start off first with um well, actually, uh, something that uh, is one of those things that's hard to believe until you see the article and uh, you realize that, yeah, this is uh, this is actually something. Um, a New Hampshire lawmaker has defected from the GOP to the Democrats. By the way, I want to. Give a quick shout out and thank you uh, to Marijuana Moment uh, for providing some of the news stories we're going to read today. And also uh, thank you to um, MJ Biz for some of the stories we're going to see today. Um, so the New Hampshire House lawmaker says that he's defecting from the Republican Party to become an independent. So excuse me, I misspoke. He didn't go to the Dems. He became an independent But he's doing it in part because of his frustration over the senate's repeated refusal to approve marijuana legalization representative dan hines says he's leaving the gop because he feels the party has lost touch with its founding principles including promoting individual freedom among his specific contentions is that republicans in the senate almost unanimously voted against legalizing marijuana for adults this session referencing a House-passed cannabis reform bill sponsored by bipartisan leadership. He says it's clear that they're out of touch with the overwhelming majority of their constituents and that they do not respect or advocate for personal freedom. Heinz said in a Facebook post uh, outlining this. He also criticized Republican legislators over votes related to the budget and controversial transgender rights legislation. Uh, But in the phone interview with Marijuana Moment, the lawmaker said that it's unfortunate that some GOP members opposed the cannabis legalization bill in the Senate when they previously backed reform while serving in the House. Um, So this is kind of amazing, right? I mean, we're not just talking about uh, somebody in the Republican Party voting a certain way. Uh, We're talking about a a New Hampshire lawmaker, and this is the the New Hampshire House, uh, I believe, not the uh, federal House, Uh, but he's defecting. Uh, out of the the GOP, and although he's not going to the Dems, he's becoming an independent. And hey, uh, I'm sure that the Democrats are very happy about that. And it speaks to the importance of where we're at with marijuana legalization because it's hard to imagine uh, in the past that any you know, that we we couldn't even get legislators to stand up and talk about favorably having. Uh, the types of marijuana laws that we have today, let alone indicate that they're switching from one party uh, at least to it becoming an independent status, but out of their existing party because they think that their existing party hasn't taken a uh, more open view of marijuana. And I I just think that that is such a, a perfect piece of evidence of where we're at in this country today, with legalization and how important it's become and, and how much a, a part of the fabric it's already becoming which uh, not that I think there's any chance notwithstanding Ross Dothat that uh, uh, opining to the contrary that there's any chance that we're going to recriminalize and we're going to uh, we're going to go forward with this um, And and so that's a wonderful thing uh, that a lawmaker feels so strongly, uh, really truly not just operating on principle, but operating on principle of the highest order. Sorry about the pun, because this is in fact, uh, for some uh, legislators, still a a third rail of politics that some of them just don't even yet feel entirely comfortable uh, dealing with. And, And here we have a guy who says, you know, to the Republicans, if you're not going to play ball and understand the importance of this, I'm out. And he's out. And I respect him for that. And uh, I, I truly hope that um, uh, as, as he goes forward, he can find uh, whatever relief, uh, he, he can help sponsor the, the, the legislation uh, and, and get it pushed through so that people who need it can find the relief they need uh, by having it available to them And uh, I certainly wish uh, Representative Dan Hines a lot of luck and uh, really hope that uh, he is successful in in, in moving things forward uh, in New Hampshire. Um, Here's another interesting uh, story, also from Marijuana Moment. Thanks, guys. Uh, Specifically from Kyle Jager. Uh, A Republican congressman who's a military veteran says, undergoing psychedelic-assisted treatment with Ibogaine and five... M-E-O-D-M-T changed my life and was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. This is a federal Republican congressman. At At a press briefing outside of the U.S. Capitol, several GOP lawmakers and military veterans discussed a newly introduced bill to create a $75 million federal grant program to support research into the therapeutic potential of psychedelics for certain health conditions among active duty military service members. Uh, specifically, Representative Dan Dan Crenshaw, also a Republican from Texas, is leading that bipartisan legislation titled the Douglas Mike Day Psychedelic Therapy to Save Lives Act of 2023. That's Douglas, quote, Mike, close, quote, Day, apparently his nickname. Uh, and it, it's meant to honor a former Navy SEAL and Civil Star recipient who died in March. Um, the congressman is also recalling his uh, renewing his call for reform through a separate must-pass defense measure. Now, let's just stop right here for a minute because Representative Dan Crenshaw is not the the focus of this story. Uh, Representative Dan Crenshaw uh, is very well known. He has gone toe-to-toe with Democrats a couple of times. And in other instances, he's actually joined up and, and participated in, my, in a more bipartisan campaign um, Fashion And although I I find myself that I don't often agree with Representative Crenshaw, I do like the way he does business, and I think that it's uh, more indicative of uh, the rose-colored past we all imagine, and some of us can kind of remember, uh, when bipartisan legislation was an actual thing and uh, programs got done and they didn't get set to the sideline because uh, the parties couldn't agree on who was going to get credit for it or whatever the case may be. So hats off to Representative Dan Crenshaw, Republican from Texas, uh, for taking a step forward in leading this. However, as the story goes on to say, the most stunning revelation from Wednesday's event came from Representative Morgan Luttrell, another uh, Texas Republican, who discussed his struggles after returning from combat and the effects it had on his personal relationships. After researching psychedelic therapy and receiving advice from people he trusted, he said he went to another country to seek the treatment, which he described as horrific but profoundly impactful impactful after all other traditional therapies had failed. If you find yourself in a place where you were lost and no other modalities have worked, this could possibly be that tool, he said. And I can honestly stand in front of all of you and the American public and say, I was reborn. This changed my life. It saved my marriage. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. If you find yourself where nothing else is working, this could be the way he said. It allows you to reset a clean slate. Now, this is fascinating, again, um, because this is a GOP congressman. uh, And certainly GOP congressmen, as we've seen, tend to run a little bit to the right of center. It doesn't mean that they don't uh, enjoy getting high or or not GOP congressmen per se, but uh, Republicans in general, uh, we, we've already established that the drug use for the most part tends to be bipartisan. And um, so so the fact that he was, is using it is not surprising. What's surprising is his willingness, I think, to come public with it and to speak positively to it and to lend credibility uh to those republicans out there who might be a bit more skeptical uh if they're hearing this information from a democrat or uh from a doctor who you know if, if they've lost faith in the medical community and and aren't willing to uh accept that as 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 good enough for them uh in terms of doing it so you know i i really have to again speak out here in favor of a republican legislator and say that uh Representative Latrell, this is as good as, as people who are hoping for legalization or decriminalization or permitted use uh, via a uh, certified uh, healthcare professional. Uh, this is the best you could hope for, right? This is a guy from the party that uh sometimes can be very doubtful and very skeptical about things uh that the democrats want to do uh, and can also be very doubtful and very skeptical about things that tie into what they may see as a more liberal community the deadheads the fish heads the uh those people of the world college students um but again you know this is being pushed by republicans so again more congratulations to dan crenshaw thank you uh representative morgan Luttrell. Uh, for being able to, uh, you know, get up and, and, and speak and uh, uh, tell us, you know, your truths and uh, and being honest about it. You said it's a horrible experience, but that at the end of the day, uh, it, it, it provided you um, with the relief you were looking for. And I can't speak to the horrible experience, and I can't say that simply because you were in a foreign country uh, created that. But I can say that I think uh, very confidently that there are certainly people in the United States, some that I know um some that i know very well uh who have been very very successful in working with people in this modality as you say uh and i think probably have developed uh i'd like to think certainly a, a an intake system uh where uh it doesn't have to be such a horrible experience um you know those of us who have tried uh psilocybin mushrooms before know one understand uh that they do uh, kind of mess up with your stomach a little bit, and uh, for some people, uh, nothing begins until you have made it to the bathroom and gotten it all out of your system, uh, one way or the other, and uh, then everything kind of seems to kick in as well. Um, but the you know the the, the simple truth is. Uh, that he, he 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 trusted it and he went with it. And even though it was a horrible experience, he he can acknowledge the the relief that it provided him saving his marriage. I mean, this is no small stuff. Um and it it, it just becomes very, very important. Uh, another Republican from Michigan, Jack Bergman, uh, uh, indicated his support, saying if we're going to get anything done in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else for that matter, somebody's got to step up and take the lead. And and so he's he's paying Congressman Luttrell a big compliment there. And they think the veterans who shared their stories and Representative Crenshaw for sponsoring the bill said it supports the overall efforts to study breakthrough therapies and psychedelic assisted therapies. Uh, We've got our work cut out for us to my colleagues in the House, vote for the bill. For those of you who are on appropriations, appropriate the money asked for this year to get the research going at the federal level, he said. And number three, authorize it so that we as a Congress can let the medical community do what it does best, which is research in an open way without bias, without discrimination. And let's begin to help in a positive way, not just talk about it. So this this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful thing. This is language of cooperation. This is language of bipartisanship. This is language of putting uh, the American public first and setting aside uh, political differences and biases and anything else that you might come to the table with and being willing to say, uh, for some people, this certainly isn't for me and for others who have had the experience being brave enough to tell everybody uh, why it was such a good experience for them. So I consider these uh, a couple of really, really great uh, cannabis stories today to, to dive into the cannabis side of things. And because they're so great, uh let's pause there for a moment we can stop with a a smile on our face and i want to dive back into our show uh here and we're going to play the next clip And, and there's a lot of significance to this one so listen carefully
1: In you, you can't be your part, you never give your love, my friend. A true foolish heart. A true foolish heart.
0: Mark it down, Deadheads, June 19th, 1988. Alpine Valley, Jerry breaks out Foolish Heart for the first time uh it was this was his breakout in concert and fittingly it was the second set opener they went into playing in the band out of it which was great um but we were all sitting there saying wow okay another new jerry song um it was ultimately released on their built to last album which was the dead's 13th and final studio album uh recorded throughout 1989 and released on october 31st 1989 so uh, we were we were a year in advance of that uh hearing them, uh, break it out and, and, and give it a ride. And, you know, for new songs, we really liked it. We think that it, thought it, you know, the guys in my group and and all of us who were all hanging out together, um, you know, thought it had some really good jams in there. Jerry's voice is sounding fairly good at this point in time in 1989. Um, uh, excuse me, 88. Jerry was, uh, in relatively good health, that he was kind of in between his two health scares and, um, really belting it out and this was a great night for him and uh, it was very very enjoyable and you know little well we knew it was the first time we had ever heard Foolish Heart and and I'm sure when we called 1-800-RUN or Dead USA, Run Dead or whatever the number was um, and they Uh, gave us the the monotone set list recording each name of each song and then uh of course if you missed one you had to call back and try to get in again um and sometimes they would say if it was a breakout and i don't recall if they said it that night or not but we you know certainly knew we hadn't heard it before and uh, through the grapevine figured out relatively quickly that 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 was its breakout moment so it's always fun to be there to hear a a new song Uh, it's always fun to come out and start off a set with it it'll show a lot of confidence in it really uh really give it a good effort. And I'm not going to lie to you folks. There's other parts of the song where Jerry kind of muddles with the lyrics, uh, which, you know, on the one hand you say, well, it's a new song. On the other hand, you say, for God's sakes, it's a new song. How could he already be forgetting the lyrics? But you know, I'm giving Jerry the benefit of the doubt on this one. And, uh, so I'm focusing on the, uh, on, on the tracks we focused on. And, uh, again, this is a great version of the song. If you want to check out, uh, find this album on archive.org or, uh, um, Anywhere else you go to, to download your live Grateful Dead music, don't don't miss any of these tunes. It, it, it's just a great one. Foolish Heart obviously uh, became a key part of the Dead's repertoire and was was played pretty consistently thereafter, uh, right up until the end. Uh, you know, just another uh, Jerry song, typically for the first set. Once it it kind of got its place in the pecking order, that's where it wound up, and. Um, you know, we all liked it, you know, we it was definitely, you know, had, uh, there was a new song Bias Against It initially, just because any new song, you know, we had to be won over, but this was definitely one that we all got to pretty quickly, Uh liked it a lot better than, say, for instance, Day Job, or some of the other ones that, that may not have hit quite as hard, Um but, you know, people pretty much really liked Foolish Heart, it had a nice beat, it had a nice melody, and Jerry really seemed to like it, so, We got that and let's dive right into the next one. Um, This is an oldie but a goodie. Grateful Dead show and heard Uncle John's band and didn't like it. It's a it's a classic, uh, working man's dead. So during that absolutely breakout creative period, as they came out of, um, as they came out of their uh, psychedelic Dead Air Primal Dead as we like to call it, and into their more Americana style of playing. And from the moment it came out, Uncle John's band was a hit, and it's always a hit. And it, it, it's a tune they could probably play every show, and the Deadheads would love it. Everybody knows the words. Everybody sings along. The band always forgets the words. The crowd tries to correct them. And, of course, then it's very fitting at the very end, oh, what I want to know, how does the song go? We all get a good laugh, and uh, and they go on with it. But it's, 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 it's a tune that can take um, an average set and instantly make it uh, a really, really good set. Um, it, it didn't get played all of the time, but it did have a pretty good regularity, I think on most of their tours and uh, find it hard to remember a tour where I saw multiple shows and didn't hear it at least once, uh, but it, it, it's just fun. And it probably gets skipped over a lot when we're featuring Dead shows just because it's in some respects such a common tune, but it's really not. And, and the musical interplay in there it goes in so many different directions, and, and the verses just kind of interweave in. And any time you can listen to it, it's, it's always fun. And you can hear differences in it from one version to another, especially across larger gaps of time. But that's, you know, just the song growing with the dead or the dead growing with the song or a little bit of both. And uh, it's something really, really cool. So, yeah, Uncle John's band, we were happy that night. We were having a good time, and uh, that was a great tune that just kept things moving right along for everybody. Veering back into a little more marijuana news here. Um, let's start off right away with what's happening here in my great state of Illinois. And anyone who listens to this show knows that I have not been easy on the state of Illinois. I've, I've, I've made it a point to point out Um, and really highlight what I've seen is a lot of the uh, mistakes and, and and mess ups and uh, everything that's got us to the point where uh, here we are now uh, in June of 2023, which now makes us three years and two months uh, down the road from when all of this was really supposed to be happening. And we still, there's still very, very few of these new dispensaries that have opened up yet. We we've yet to see, uh, Uh, a huge rush all of a sudden one day there's a hundred new dispensaries it'll happen over time Uh, and people are still working out all the final problems and final hurdles and, and anything else like that that they need to get smoothed over so that they can open up and do what they uh, what, what they want to do and what all of us want to be able to do, which is just here in Illinois, which is just have a lot more choice. And Illinois Governor Jay Pritzker just made that a little bit easier and good for him. He's a big, big fan and a big proponent of all of this. When he took office, he made uh, adult use a, a priority of his campaign. And to his credit, he got it passed. Um not so much to his credit, they got a version passed that has, has really unfortunately been causing a lot of trouble. So uh, in many ways, this is a very nice makeup for that and something that will hopefully provide a little bit of help, although I'm not an accountant and I don't play one on TV, but I do know enough to know that the bulk of, of taxes are for businesses and individuals are typically paid on the federal level. Uh, but in Illinois, at least, uh, pursuant to Governor Pritzker, Uh, 280E will not be applicable on the state tax level, meaning uh, that if you are a retailer, a, a dispensary owner in the state of Illinois, and you are selling marijuana, that on your state income tax returns, you will be able to claim ordinary business deductions in a way that you are not allowed to do so on the federal level. And it may not be a lot, and I'm sure when it, when it changes on the federal level, that it will result in a much larger uh, uh, financial uptick for so many businesses. Um, but every dollar counts in this industry. And even if it's just a fraction of what you're paying on the federal level, to be able to actually deduct those items and uh, you know be able to pay a, a smaller uh Tax payment, because of that, is the the underwriting uh, basis of of every other business in the world, except for dispensaries, and it, it's very very unfortunate. And the feds will get to it one day, but at least in Illinois, uh, Governor Pritzker kind of steps up to the plate. And on this one, I, you know, I can be critical, I can also be uh, complimentary, and I and I I tip my hat to him and to the state legislature for getting this done. And I, I hope it provides relief to the guys who are already here and up and running. And I hope it provides relief to the the new folks on the block who are, are still just getting themselves up and moving, uh, but at least can do so knowing that the, the state's bite of its tax burden has just gotten a little bit less than it was. And so, uh, good for the state, good for them. Let's see it move forward. And I'm looking forward to the the, the competition and, and hopefully some lower pricing and the introduction of new products that will result once these new businesses get up and get online. Now, again, just so that nobody thinks that uh, this is all uh, sunshine daydream all the time, we have to remind people, and I remind my clients of this all the time, Marijuana is a regulated business, and it's not just a regulated business; it's a heavily regulated business. Given the fact that it's illegal on the federal level, on the state level, in most states, I would basically guess that it's the most heavily regulated industry uh, that are in the states. They, uh, the states, have to really be careful. They have to make sure they have to know that things are going right. And if you're going to do that and do that in an effective and credible way, uh, you have to be willing to call out problems when you see them and in maryland uh we are learning and uh, thanks to mj biz on this one chris roberts uh in maryland what we're learning is that the marijuana regulators in that state have suspended cookies baltimore license now everybody knows who cookies is uh it's a franchisee of one of the country it is one of the country's best known cannabis brands and cookies baltimore is a franchisee of cookies Uh, So this June 2nd suspension comes less than a week after the medical marijuana dispensary's grand opening in Baltimore and about a month before the widely anticipated July 1 launch of adult use cannabis sales in the state. In other words, this is a really lousy time uh, to have your license suspended. So why? Well, the alleged violations of state law include... Operational failure, risking diversion or endangering health that appears to be at least in part related to a marijuana smoke blower that's become a cookies brand staple, according to documents posted on the Marijuana Cannabis Administration's website. What's a smoke blower, you ask? I had a look too. But it's literally what it says is it's a machine that blows smoke out, and I imagine it can be used to like create Um, like you know the dry ice smoke scenes for rock bands and stuff like that but in this instance it's literally blowing out smoke uh, that's thc as if somebody were smoking a very large joint and you know the smoke that's coming out of the back of it or that gets exhaled whatever you want to you want to do but they have these machines in their store to kind of add a, a hot box element if you will and remarkably, they're doing this in a state where they just got their medical license. They're about to get an adult use license. And this is clearly diversion or endangering health because just because somebody walks in your store uh, and is an adult 21 years of age or older doesn't mean that they're going to smoke. Maybe they're there to buy some marijuana that they want to give to another adult 21 years of age or older. Maybe they want to come in and try it for the first time. Maybe they have questions. And walking into an environment where marijuana smoke is blowing around isn't really the way to achieve it and really kind of flies in the face of every business model uh, that we've ever heard presented, right? That this is not a frat party. This is not a Grateful Dead concert, even though it could always be one as far as we're concerned. Um, This is a business and it has to be treated as a business where uh, the the women of your community who are uh, ages 40 and older, feel comfortable if they want to buy gummies if they want to find some type of thc or uh, even a cbd product type of product that might be helpful for them that they feel comfortable walking in and i'm not just saying that that women in they, that age bracket necessarily uh, but certainly that's a very very important um, uh, demographic uh, that we've always learned uh, to be have a successful dispensary, that's a demographic who you have to get their support behind you. Uh, and you have to know that they're on your side because if they're against you, uh, it's not as likely uh, that your business is going to be long for the world. Um, and so just blowing marijuana smoke randomly around while, you know, I can imagine the, the typical frat boy or real stoner response of, wow, man, that's cool. Yeah, we'll go by there and we'll get stoned while we're buying our marijuana. How cool is that? Well, it's cool if you're that guy, but you're not the primary target that these folks are reaching out to because you're going to buy marijuana anyway. Again, this is to reach out to people who may who may or, who may not be THC users or maybe from way back in the day and an hour at a point in their life where they want to reach out and possibly try it again. But they're not looking to get baked on day one or even before day one simply by walking in the store that sells it. So at any rate, this is what the problem is. There were some other violations of and breaches of state law uh, governing advertising and a failure to either maintain or share security camera footage, the document notes. So Maryland state business records indicate that Cookies Maryland is operated by Thomas Nafso, an attorney who is also the CEO and founder of Knox Cannabis, a Michigan-based company that also runs a Cookies brand store in Grand Rapids. Um, Nafso hasn't uh, responded to phone messages seeking comment. Um, And Cookies Baltimore on the website informed its users that it's temporarily closed. The dispensary has 30 days to appeal the ruling and request a hearing. It's unclear if Cookies has done so already. David Torres, a spokesperson for the Maryland Cannabis Administration, also, did not make a comment at this time. But the suspension is a setback for the brand as well as for the local operator, which did not have an adult use license but nonetheless stood to benefit from increased cannabis sales and interest once recreational sales began July 1. So, um, My mistake earlier, I indicated uh, that he had both types of licenses or the the company, but they don't, they only have a medical, uh, but that's true. And one of the main reasons why medical sales go up is because if Maryland's going to be similar to Illinois and other States, if you're a patient, you pay lower taxes. And so all of a sudden we see an influx of people who have qualifying conditions and hadn't bothered to sign up before, but now have a more of a financial interest to do so. So. The medical marijuana business in the state is projected to produce 630 million in sales this year. Uh, adult adult use is expected to range uh, 275 million this year because it's coming online late, uh, but uh, hopefully hitting a, a projected goal of 2.3 billion by 2028. But in this situation, it, this is really kind of a open and shut case, if you will. Right, Cookies Baltimore opened for business on May 27th, the day before. A uh, Maryland cannabis uh, inspector visited the dispensary and noticed numerous violations of state law. The inspector requested information from the dispensary that was not provided, uh, and the dispensary nonetheless opened for business. And videos posted to Cookie's Baltimore Instagram appeared to show large plumes of medical cannabis smoke being blown from a large gun Apparatus into the mouth of persons outside the dispensary. Okay, so again, if it's a medical marijuana dispensary, you can't have somebody coming in, uh, maybe to buy marijuana for somebody else, unless they're a healthcare provider. In which case, if they're a licensed uh, healthcare provider for a patient, then they could. But nevertheless, you're 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 blowing smoke in people's face when they walk in the door, and the gun container had a sticker with a Cookies logo on it. So then, talk about open and shut case. But it gets better. The regulator asked Cookies. Baltimore to share surveillance footage from the grand opening the dispensary failed to do so and then informed the regulators that it did not maintain any of its video surveillance footage well this is unbelievable this is almost like uh, you know 101 of the three stooges and what you do if you're running a dispensary and I'm sorry to cookies and to these guys but this just isn't going to cut it you know, everybody has to have video camera and everybody has to maintain the, the film for a certain period of time. And if if they were a brand new mom and pop store, even then it wouldn't be acceptable. But for cookies, for, for any dispensary that's operating under the cookies banner to behave in such a slip slipshod slip fashion is tremendously disappointing, not just because they're breaking the laws and, and ruining it for everybody, but yeah, because, you know, we always say we, we In the marijuana industry, it's coopetition. You want to work with the people who you're uh, competing against, but it's nice if you make more money than they do, but not at the expense of them going under or going out of business or doing things, which puts the industry in a negative light. And You know for cookies at baltimore that you know cookies if they're going to show up in your neighborhood people who who are the moms and pops in that neighborhood or that state are very very excited because if cookies is going to open in your state that's sending a message that this company that's that's a national brand has decided that your state is worthwhile uh, in which to invest its time and money and its products and that does bode well for everyone and it's really a shame uh that, that that this is 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 very uh disappointing there's a whole another list of uh uh other problems with their ads and everything that goes on and on and I'm not going to sit here and beat up on cookies any more than that um but I will say that it's very hard in this industry uh to pretend as though that you know you're part of the industry and you know you're everybody's good friend and they're your good friend and uh you know you want to be treated with you know, with respect and and uh You know, be an active part of uh, the the marijuana community of which you're a part, whether it's medical or adult use. And I imagine at some point cookies will find its way into an adult use uh, dispensary license in that state because that's what cookies does. They're big and and they they move out. All the multi-state operators do it. And again, you know, whether in the long run uh, a multi-state business model uh, is ultimately going to work and be able to establish a national following. Um, remains to be seen. But if people want to try it and do it, that's their business. And as long as they're not in violation of state law, then it is their business. But if they're going to be in violation of state law, then it kind of becomes everybody's business a little bit. Because again, it's a black eye for the community. And let's find out. Let's 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 allow cookies you know play by the rules go forward and it helps people gauge the interest in the market if if cookies is successful if cookies is making it happen so it it really does everybody a disservice and it is a black eye for the community And that's all we're going to say about it. And hopefully cookies will uh, pull things together and uh, very soon we'll be touting them again for the quality products that they put out and the fact that they're hopefully setting a good example uh, by cleaning things up and and getting their their Baltimore franchise uh, back up and running in good standing. So, yeah, right. We've got all sorts of things going on in the marijuana world, some good, some bad. But I think overall, uh, we're hearing some positive things and we're seeing politicians uh, moving in a way that's beginning to recognize the desires and in some cases the needs and the wants of the the citizens of the states uh, that we've been talking about who enjoy cannabis, whether it's marijuana or hemp or CBD or Delta 8 or whatever other products are being sold in your state. Uh, pretty universally, we've seen that it's a hit and that people want it. And some people are willing to try it for the first time because it's such a popular thing. And You know, we've talked about all the studies out there, so we won't run through all of that again, but we will talk about the fact that uh, hats off to any of these states. You know, thank you for for doing this, and thank you for taking a step towards normalizing. And, you know, even if it's a state that's ultimately not going to go as far as we want it to go, any step forward is a step forward, and any positive we get out of that is positive that's good and overall for everybody. And we will get to the point where it will be normalized enough that, uh we won't have to keep having these conversations. It will just be what it is. And we'll, oh yeah, back in the day when this was all getting started, but we're not there yet. Let's keep moving in the right direction. And hopefully most politicians are keeping a clear mind about this and are going to continue to support uh, the cannabis industry in a bipartisan fashion uh, for all the good that it is and uh, all of the bad that it isn't. Um, And we'll see, We'll, we'll follow up with it and we'll see where it gets us enough pontificating for the day let's go back to a very very excellent alpine valley show uh, and hear the next musical clip we have again another uh, uh dead favorite another one of these songs that if you hear them play that everybody's just going to be happy uh, going down the road feeling bad is, is, is uplifting. It's traditional. Uh, the dead started playing it almost from the beginning and uh, it survived all the way through uh, sometimes not played quite as frequently as the Deadheads would like. Uh, we've talked about its golden age in the uh, early seventies when it would be paired uh, in the middle of a not fade away sandwich uh, oftentimes to close out shows. Um, and it, it, it's just such a fun song, and you could just tell at the, at the end there when they just keep mounting it more and more and more and knocking it up one more notch more and more, and Jerry yelling into the microphone and and jamming and, and playing, and, you know, you're in the middle of that, and you're thinking, what the hell, what do I care if I have to get up early tomorrow morning? What the hell do I care if I have to ride the train out to Addison and, you know, take a, uh, uh, there's no way I'm missing this. This is happening, and this is my time to see it, and you know, Deadhead, Deadhead, show up. We find a way. And uh, and we did. So uh, that was great. And we still have one more clip from that show in a minute. Um, just a couple of other things. Last week, I gave a shout out uh, to my wife and a good friend of the show, Andy Greenberg, and uh, uh, some other friends of theirs, uh, Amy and Lori, who uh, all uh, made their way out to George Washington, a few hours east of Seattle, to see the um, Joni Mitchell-Brandi Carlisle Jam, and it's such an amazing show. I've I've now heard all the stories now that they're back, Uh, seen my wife's pictures, heard the stories, both about the concert and all the other experiences and cool people that they met. And so uh, uh, we haven't had Andy Greenberg on the show in a while. Maybe we can uh, get her to come on for a few minutes and share her story. Don't know if that's the kind of thing my wife likes to do or not, but if she wants to, what the heck, we can bring her on too and let her talk about that for a little while. Because the truth is uh, they were part of a very, very, very small group of people, you know, who, who got in on uh, a very unique show that really a, a, a generational type show, Joni Mitchell coming back and singing and playing guitar and, all of these other amazing musicians, some men, a lot of women, uh, just coming out and, 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 and turning it into a really special night or a couple of nights. And uh, how wonderful is that? I, I've always been a huge Joni Mitchell fan after when I was dating my wife and after I married her, she was a big Joni Mitchell fan too. So I knew I was doing something right. Uh, good buddy Blake took me and, and Jeannie took me to see uh, Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan, Uh, One year on my birthday in October in the United Center, kind of a strange place for them, such a large, huge place. Uh, But we were sitting very up close and uh, it was wonderful. Joni kind of informally opened and Bob kind of informally closed. And I can't remember if there was any overlap, but it was just wonderful to see her and to hear her music and the songs that, you know, really defined a big part of my college life. Uh, Very, very popular albums in the dorm rooms and uh, off-campus apartments after that and, you know, how wonderful to get to see her, and I'm glad that they had been talking about seeing this show for a long time, and they made it, so hats off to them uh, that uh, they got out there and they got to do that, and hopefully we will get some more very good stories from them. Uh, otherwise, on the musical front, I'm very excited, uh, because when you hear this, I should be saying uh, uh, two nights ago, right, uh, but when I'm recording this, it's three nights from now, I'm seeing my first Billy Strings concert, and I'm, I'm very, very excited about that uh i haven't seen billy strings before and i'm i'm really looking forward to this guy my good buddy mark in st louis saw billy strings down there and said it was one of the best concerts if not the best he's seen in the last 20 25 years which i winked at him because that's very strategically designed so it doesn't go back so far back as to interfere with a potential grateful dead shows but uh, sure, I, I, you know, he's, he's a tremendous musician. He's a tremendous showman. Uh, he sings a lot, too. He plays some covers. He plays a lot of his own stuff, and we're going to see it here in Chicago out at Northerly Island, uh, which is the, the outdoor venue that's, that sits out near the um, uh, planetarium and, and where Migs Field Airport used to be, where all the big CEOs would fly their private planes in uh, when they wanted to have meetings in downtown Chicago and didn't want to have to hassle with traffic coming in from Midway or O'Hare, and, um, but Daley didn't want it, and he was concerned uh, after 9-11 because he thought that terrorists could use it as a launching off point if they wanted to attack the city, but he couldn't get the federal government to agree to shut it down, so in true Chicago fashion, one night in the middle of the night, he sent bulldozers out there, and they literally uh, uh, bulldozed out chunks of concrete and formed large X's all the way up and down the runway. So there was no way a plane could take off or land. And uh, the federal government had a fit about it. Some of the businessmen had a fit about it, but it was daily. He got what he wanted and uh, they turned it into this really great uh, venue. It's little bit of a pain in the ass to get out there to get to it but not terrible and once you're out there it's great it's got a lot of room uh, a lot of places to stand <clears throat> they've got you know seats ranging from like almost the equivalent of high school you know gymnasium stands to you know like everywhere else they've they've put in a few uh, really nice boxes for those that enjoy the boxes when they're watching a show but it faces back in towards the city so you get, a, you get the city skyline at night and uh, you know, if it's a nice night out, you get everything. It, it, it's really a beautiful place. Uh, my wife and I are going with good friends, John and Marnie, JT to the world, um, who we were uh, had a chance to spend some time with after the Dead show last week. Always great fun to hang out with them. Always great fun to go to see shows with them, uh, whoever it might be. And certainly Billy Strings uh, is a great one to go to a show with with good friends. And I will be talking about it next week. Uh, even though it'll be over a week removed from when the concert happened. But I'm looking forward to be able to give a review on it and share my thoughts and experiences. And uh, quite frankly, I'm very much looking forward to him living up to the hype because the hype has been tremendous, but it's been consistent. And uh, uh, that can only speak well for what we're going to get out of him. So looking forward to Billy Strings. And that brings us to the end of today's show. On the way out, I just want to give you a quick heads up about what we're playing here. It was the encore from the night. And it's a Dylan tune, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And it it is a song by Bob Dylan written for the soundtrack of the 1973 Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Now, I was alive in 1973. I don't remember the movie. Um, I don't know if Dan remembers it or not, but we'll have to ask around to see if anybody's ever seen it. It was released as a single two months after the film's premiere. It became a worldwide hit, reaching the top ten in several countries. The song became one of Dylan's most popular and most covered post-1960s compositions, spawning covers from Eric Clapton, Guns N' Roses, Randy Crawford, and more, which would also include The Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia. The song is described by Dylan biographer uh, Clinton Halen as an exercise in splendid simplicity. The song features two short verses, the lyrics of which comment directly on the scene in the film for which it was written. The Death of a Frontier Lawman, who refers to his wife as Mama. It was ranked number 190 in 2004 by Rolling Stone Magazine in their 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And in 2010, uh, when they did it again, it it, had moved backwards only two spots to 192. That's good staying power. It's a great song uh, and a great way to end a night. Jerry turned to it often. Uh, after he started playing it. And, and quite frankly, I don't remember the first year, but by next week, I'll I'll know the first year uh, when Jerry played Knocking on Heaven's Door. Uh, but it was one that we grew very used to and uh, was always a great way to end a show, send you home in a more relaxed state with a smile on your face. Uh, and so it's a great way to go out. Thanks everyone for listening. Please tune in again next week when we will have more great music and marijuana talk. Uh, until then, thanks, have a great week, be safe and enjoy your cannabis responsibly.
1: Come take this bed of me